Let's come now to John chapter 14. Find your Bible and break out John chapter 14. We'll look at verses 1 through 3 and then verse 6. After that, we'll go over to the book of Revelation. It may help you to download this piece of paper. I think personally that the dullest pencil is sharper than the sharpest memory. So take a few notes. When God speaks to you, listen. Move beyond my frail, feeble voice and listen to the Father's voice. He wants to coach you today about reserving your place in heaven. Let me ask you this. Have you thought much about heaven? I know there are some people who say that those who follow Christ are so heavenly-minded that they are no earthly good. I personally have never met that person. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I've met a lot of people who are so worldly-minded, they're no heavenly good. But the Bible tells us that we're citizens of heaven, and we should focus upon it. We should know about it. We should be excited about it. We should anticipate it. Let me tell you about a man who came here several years ago. His name was Don Piper. Uh, Don Piper had the most extraordinary story that I've ever heard. I got to spend the day with him uh, a number of years ago. He was out in Texas, near Tyler, Texas. He had gone to a retreat for pastors, and he was coming back, and he had a horrible wreck. He was in a small automobile that ran into an 18-wheeler, and the vehicle was, it, it was devastated. It was crushed. It was obliterated. Some people came, and they announced Don dead at the scene. Time went by. They covered his body up. The force of the impact placed him in the back seat, almost as if he was lying down. A Baptist pastor came by, and he was just going to pray for Don's soul and family. He got back in the seat, and he touched him. There was no movement, no breath, and he prayed. And at the end of that prayer, there was a slight movement in his arm, in Don Piper's arm, after he was dead for 40 minutes. He came back. And he wrote an account called 90 Minutes in Heaven. It's been translated into an array of languages. It's an astonishing, stunning book that depicts what it's like to just step over for a moment to the edge of heaven. Uh, I recommend that book to you, but there's another book that's fascinating by Dr. Mary Neal. Dr. Mary Neal is not a pastor, but a UCLA-trained orthopedic surgeon who lives in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, Mary had a taste for adventure, so she had gone to Chile a number of years ago, and they were riding the rapids in a rugged river, and her kayak flipped over. She drowned. She describes it like this. There were six to eight celestial beings that took her to this grand place. And as they were approaching it, they suddenly stopped and said, it's not your time. You must go back. So this woman returns, and she writes a New York Times best-selling book entitled to heaven and back. I would commend it to you. Now, Don Piper's book is great. Mary Neal's book is great. 
but the ultimate book on heaven is here. It is the Bible, the living Word of God. So, I want you to go to the Bible, find John chapter 14, because we are citizens of heaven. We learn in Philippians 3 verse 20 that we are citizens of heaven. Oh, I know that we're citizens of different countries. I'm proud to be an American, but I'm even more proud to be a citizen of heaven. And friend, I want you to understand something. When you are a citizen of heaven, there is the joy of anticipation. Would you make that note? The joy of anticipation of what's coming. Oh, I think a lot about heaven and the joy of it. Let me give you an earthly parallel. 1981, I met a wonderful man named Dr. Dale Huff, and he invited me to become his associate pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Montgomery. Well, I had grown up in Texas. I went to seminary in New Orleans. I'd certainly heard about Alabama. Everybody loves the tide and War Eagle. But as far as even having any relatives in Alabama, I was on zero. So I started to study about our fair state. I started to study our history. I learned about Montgomery, how it was the cradle of the Civil War and the civil rights how the Wright brothers had come and had their first flight school here. I became fascinated with the history of Montgomery. I read all about Martin Luther King because I was joyously anticipating moving to my new location. So with that same sense of joyous anticipation, for the next few moments, let's think about heaven. This crazy COVID-19 world we're living in has taken some people to heaven. Around 180,000 have died, and there will be more. And friend, it may not be COVID-19 for you, but every one of us will have a date with death, and we need to get ready. You need to make your reservation for your place in heaven. You see, I believe with my whole heart that heaven is real. Can I tell you quickly before we read why I believe in heaven? Number one, I believe in heaven because of feelings. The Scripture says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, that God has set eternity in our hearts. We have this inherent, built into our hard drive sense that there's more to life than this life. There's more beyond. It's as if this life is an appetizer and the main course is coming. So feelings tell all of us there's more. But fairness also makes me believe in heaven. Run back to the 1940s. In Germany, there lived a woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom, and there lived a man named Adolf Hitler. Corrie Ten Boom was residing in a Nazi concentration camp for helping Jewish friends. She was sentenced to die. But this marvelous Christ follower lived, and she told her story to the glory of God for years. While Hitler seemed to be a hellion, he was a maniacal man bent on destruction. So fairness tells me that Corey Ten Boom, who has now stepped into the doorway of death, and Hitler, who stepped through the doorway of death through a suicide hand, are not in the same place for eternity. That is unfathomable. That's unfair. So feelings and fairness tell me there's a heaven but so does faith. Faith 
in Jesus tells me there is a heaven. Faith that He is speaking ultimate reality and great truth declare that there is a heaven that will last for eternity. And you can make a reservation in heaven even today. Well, let's see what Jesus says about heaven. Come with me to John 14. It says in verse 1, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Phenomenal news. And then in verse 6, he tells us how to get there. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the declaration of ultimate reality and God's unwavering truth. You reject it, my precious friend, at your peril. Now, let's magnify what Jesus has said about heaven with John's latter writings in the book of Revelation. Go over to Revelation 21. So, let's fuse these together. In Revelation 21, the great apostle John, who has had a picture of the future, and he gives us this glorious, grand portrait of heaven. Pick up right here, Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He shall dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them. And He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, listen to verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, let's pray for a moment. Dear Father, we come most intentionally and humbly into your holy presence Oh, we thank You for Your living Word that speaks ultimate truth. Lord, right now I ask that You would get me out of the way so that Your Spirit may deposit Your transforming truth about the reality and glory of heaven into every receptive heart. 
And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me show you five features of forever, five features of heaven. And then I'm going to show you how you can make your reservation. Number one, heaven is beautiful. Make that note. It goes back to verse one and two. Heaven is beautiful. This is an astonishing thought that heaven, the new Jerusalem, is compared to this bride awaiting her husband. Oh, I love that analogy. But let me pick up on 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Before we plunge into the picture of the bride, here's what the Apostle Paul said, because he got a quick glimpse of glory. And listen to what he said. I know a man, speaking of himself, who was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things which no man is permitted to tell. Now, the Apostle Paul was a very bright and articulate man. And yet, what he saw in heaven ran beyond the boundaries of his capacity to communicate. It ran beyond his vocabulary. So, he could not describe what he saw in heaven. So, we have these pictures. And one picture that we have here in Revelation is the picture of a bride adorned for her husband. I like that picture. Oh, I've seen a lot of brides. As a pastor, I've done over a thousand weddings. And may I tell you a great truth? Oh, I've seen so many brides. And I have never, ever, ever seen, out of those 1,000 brides, I've never seen an unbeautiful bride. Although a few just barely made it, I mean, <laughs> to be honest. You know. But by and large, every bride is so beautiful. Why? Because they're adorned for their husband. They've been to the beauty shop. They've got on their finest clothes. They are ready. They're prepared. And this is a picture of what heaven is like a bride prepared for her groom. But there's another analogy. We saw it in John 14. Uh, not only a, a bride, but a building. Some people call it a mansion in glory or just this large dwelling place where we all dwell together. Uh, I, I don't know the precise description of what it will be like, but it will be beyond anything you can think, ask, or imagine. You see, I, I like the building metaphor also. Think about this. On planet Earth, we have crafted some marvelous buildings. For instance, have any of you ever been to the Biltmore Mansion over in North Carolina? It's absolutely stunning. Some say the most beautiful residence in America. Others would argue in California, the Hearst Castle exceeds it. Others would say the Buckingham Palace of London would exceed these. Some would say that Versailles in France is yet greater, the Sultan's Palace in Istanbul, or the Neuschwanstein Castle up in Bavaria in Germany. There are a lot of grand mansions in the world. But friend, they pale in comparison when you began to lay them up against the wonders of God's creation. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Oh, I've been quite a few times. Once um, I'd gone with a friend, and we slept at the edge of the Grand Canyon. We woke up, and as the sun was arising over this great, unfathomable chasm, we saw it in all of its glory and grandeur. And I can assure you, anything man can create pales to virtual nothingness when juxtaposed to the Grand Canyon, or when you juxtapose man's creation to the mighty, majestic Rocky Mountains or the Swiss Alps 
are the towering Himalayas, the vast oceans, or the measureless Milky Way. You see, nature is God's calling card, declaring that He can do far beyond anything we can think, ask, or imagine. At the end of Psalm 23, after we learn that God is our good shepherd, we have this promise that we will dwell in His house forever. In my sanctified imagination, the one who built that house is none other than Jesus, the architect. Jesus, the carpenter, built it. Jesus, the interior designer, He made everything in heaven. So we cannot begin to comprehend the splendor of it all. Heaven is beautiful, indescribably beautiful. Number two, make this note. Heaven is spectacular because God is present. Look at verse 3. God is present. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. God is present. He is dwelling with us. That is such an amazing thought. Right now, we pray our Father who is in heaven. But when we address the Lord in heaven, we will be saying, our Father, you're right here. And we are stunned by your glorious presence. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, that right now we see through a glass dimly, but then we'll see face to face when we arrive in heaven. It's interesting, uh, in Revelation 21, the physical features of heaven are not focused upon because the key feature of heaven is not its furniture, it's the Father's presence. It's being with our forever family. That's what heaven is all about. It's not about the streets of gold. It's not about the gates of pearl. It's not about the throne of diamonds. Heaven is all about being in God's unbroken presence, His light and love for eternity. Soak that in to your soul. Let me give you a very simple analogy. I love my home, but my home, uh, per se, is just a house of sticks and bricks. But the soul of my home is my family, and particularly my wife. I love my Mary Ruth. This is our Christmas picture. And uh, my family makes my collection of sticks and bricks move from a house to a home. That's what heaven is really all about. It's being in your Father's presence. It's being with your forever family and never having to say goodbye. God is present. Number three, grief is absent. Grief is absent. The Scripture says that God will wipe away every tear. There will no longer be any death, mourning, crying, sighing. You'll never hear an ambulance in heaven. You will never go to a funeral home or a cancer ward or a psychiatric unit. Those will not exist in heaven. Friend, heaven is a place where nothing is broken. Did you see the declaration here? that all things are new in verse 5. All things are new. They are in perfect shape. They're in glorious condition. Nothing is broken. In heaven, there will be no broken promises, no broken homes. There will be no broken bodies. There will be no broken hearts. Everything will be in perfect mint condition. Oh, it's so appealing to me because I am not very handy. As a matter of fact, when I try to repair stuff, generally I do more damage. 
So I just call immediately that repair person. I like the idea that in heaven all things are, are pristine and new. Now, this is not in the Bible, but do you know what I really think? I think heaven smells like a new car. I really do. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got me a new Hyundai Sonata. And that car, when I opened it up and smelled it, I thought, man, that's just a little foretaste of heaven. That's the smell of glory. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I can assure you, heaven will be spectacular. It'll be new beyond anything you can imagine because God is present. Grief is absent. But let me show you the fourth feature. You see, your needs are satisfied. Your needs are satisfied. Look at verse 6. The Scripture says in verse 6 that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. One of the most fundamental human needs is thirst. And the Bible tells us that God is very good at meeting our needs. For instance, in Philippians 4.19, we learn, and my God will meet all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, that applies to our earthly journey. Now, if that's true of what we experience on earth, think about how God will meet our needs for eternity. What a spectacular thought. You see, the Bible tells us that one of our most basic human needs is to quench our thirst. We have a need for water. We learn in Luke chapter 16, in verse 24, uh, Jesus told a startling story. It was about a, a man who was rich and a poor beggar named Lazarus. The poor beggar and the rich man died on the same day. And Jesus describes in Luke 16 what happens next. They both went through the doorway of death, and Lazarus went into the presence of God at the banquet table of God. He went to heaven. And the rich man... He went to a horrific place called hell. The Scripture says simply in Luke 16, 24, it's graphic language. It's frightening language. It says that the rich man calls across the chasm, and he says, would you send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and put it upon my tongue because my tongue is on fire? What a graphic picture of the horrors of hell. Every need will go unmet. The Scripture simply says that all of your needs are satisfied. Your physical needs, your emotional needs, your intellectual needs. Now, it said earlier that there will be no sea in verse 1. Do you know what that really means? The sea connotes mystery. The sea will be gone, and all of your question marks will become God's exclamation points. All of those haunting questions about why. Why did I lose my loved ones? Why do I have to fight this disease? Why do I suffer? Why are there difficulties on planet Earth? Why are there wars and famines and COVID-19 diseases that stalk us? Why? Well, you'll see crystal clear. Because, my friend, there will be no more mystery. All your needs will be satisfied, including those haunting, daunting emotional questions. Well, number five, don't miss this. You are secure. In heaven, you are totally and completely secure. That's what verse 8 describes. You see, all of the bad people are going to be banned 
from heaven that won't be their location for eternity. No, they will be gone. Therefore, heaven will be a place of great security. In heaven, there will be no locks. There'll be no alarms. There will be no guard dogs or burglar bars. In heaven, there will be no COVID-19. There will be no terrorists, no snipers, no burglars, no con man, no psychos. There will be no cancer wards. Everything will be perfectly secure because we will live in God's unbroken light and presence. He will be our security. Listen to what David saw in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Friend, take courage for today because of what will happen tomorrow and for eternity. You will be completely secure as God holds you in the palm of His nail-scarred hands. Several years ago, we came home from Sunday night church, and we encountered a terrible experience. Walked into the back door of our house and encountered a burglar. There was a fellow there with a gun, and he screamed, I'm going to shoot you. I was terrified. My dear had a cardiac arrest family backed out. It was a heart-stopping moment of terror as we encountered one of the bad guys. I can tell you the worst thing we lost that night, and we lost some earthly valuables, but we lost our peace of mind. We lost our sense of security. We felt violated and and, and consequently vulnerable. If you've ever had that experience of walking in on a burglar or somebody putting a gun towards your face, you've lost your sense of security. My friends, be assured this will not happen in heaven because heaven is a clean place for a cleansed people. Not a perfect people, but a forgiven people. And none of the bad guys will be there. Well, can you imagine what it would be like in heaven? This brings us now to the last and most important feature of this lesson. How do you make your reservation? Let me tell you how you make your reservation for heaven. You see, the Scripture says in Revelation 21, 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 20, He said, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What did he mean? Well, the Bible says there is evidently a book that God has crafted, and you can have your name written in that book like a reservation, like you'd make a reservation for a hotel. Several years ago, I had gone to Phoenix to a convention of Baptist pastors And I walked into a big, pretty hotel downtown Phoenix, and it was hot outside, like 115 outside, and it was just like 8 p.m., and it was 115. Well, I was standing in line there in the lobby, and the person in front of me came up and said, I I want a room for the night, and said, "Uh, well, do you have the reservation? He said, you know, I kind of think so. I think I have a reservation here. He said, well, I'll need your confirmation number. The guy fumbled around with his phone, and he couldn't find anything, and And he said, I'm so sorry, we're full. We have a big convention, a bunch of Baptist preachers like me, and 
I mean, this guy bowed up like a bullfrog. He got hotter than the outside temperature. Uh, he started to say some very unbiblical words, and finally he just stomped out. And as that scene was unfolding, I thought as he went out into the heat of the Phoenix evening, it was like you were going out into hell, <laughs> like you'd showed up at the gate of heaven, and you'd gotten turned down because you did not have your confirmation number. But for heaven, it's not a confirmation number. It's a confirmation name, and the name is Jesus. What did Jesus say in John 14? I am the way. I want to be your truth. I want to be your life because you can't get into heaven without me. The Bible says that there's no other name given among men by which they must be saved except the name of Jesus, friends. So have you made your reservation in heaven? It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I turn from my sin. I want you to be my Savior. If something happened to you, if you got COVID-19, and your breath was taken away, or you were in an automobile wreck, or your heart stopped beating, would you wake up in heaven? You see, you can be assured that your reservation is made in heaven if right now you will invite Jesus to come into your life. See, as Lewis said it best, the only place you will not find Jesus is where he is uninvited. So right now, let me help you make the best decision of your life. Invite Jesus to come into your life. And then you need to say something about it. And I'm going to give you some instructions about texting this number that you see on the screen and identifying that you have shifted your eternal address and made your reservation in heaven. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, just say it in your heart of hearts. Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin and I make you my Savior. I pray that you would right now make me your child and a member of your forever family. Jesus, I promise to follow you all the way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My friend, I believe with all my heart, if you pray that prayer, you've just been born again. You have just written your name in the reservation book of heaven. Now, right now, I want you to text that number that you see on your screen and just text the word yes. Right now, don't put it off. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. Do what the Spirit of God is telling you to do. Right now, your pulse is moving a little faster. Just take your phone and text a yes to this number. Give us your name. Give us your yes. And I assure you, we'll be back in touch with you. We'll pray for you. We'll send you some materials that will help you grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. But right now is your opportunity to do the most important thing, and that is to turn your eyes upon Jesus and say yes.